0: Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious.
1: A very good weekend to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. On this show, we go way beyond mere eating and drinking. Because the culinary landscape is ever evolving and on this show, it's my goal to feed your soul. The most passionate food and wine lovers listen here, so if you're a food enthusiast, well, then you are definitely in the right place. From the politics of food to the shared plate, from wine wisdom to heart-healthy advice, art comes in lots of forms. I just happen to love the form that you can eat. We dish on fabulous food, wine and spirits, travel, health, and living the best life. So I hope you won't miss a weekend of delicious conversation with me. I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com, and I have lots of gastronomic inspiration on my daily dish at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And if you happen to have missed a show or would like to master a topic, you can find my podcasts with outlined show descriptions on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. I like to kick off this show with a tutorial of sorts. And I dined this past week on a decadent duck breast at a chef friend's restaurant, in fact, in Orange County, California, where I live. And it was set atop this bed of creamy gorgonzola polenta. And nothing says change of seasons like polenta to me. Creamy polenta. The Italians consider it porridge. I consider it comfort food. And I think it's time to master it, especially as we come into the colder weather, there's wonderful opportunity to use polenta in multiple forms. And I think it's about time some great food lovers forget everything you've ever heard about polenta before because I think it's said to be intimidating, but it really couldn't be easier. It does require a little bit of attention, but not more than say steel cut oatmeal does. It's all about the ratio of liquid, whether water, milk, or stock to polenta and the cooking time. And once you make it and master it, you will find it the perfect base For that roasted pork tenderloin or that perfect Sunday chicken. And if you're grilling throughout the year, like I am a girl at the grill, then you'll find that the leftovers, if the dish was originally served creamy, let's say, uh, is then poured into a glass uh, baking dish and allowed to set. When it's cut and crisped, either in a pan or thrown on the grill, you have a whole new wondrous application. So, let's start with the creamy, shall we? I serve my creamy Parmesan polenta with wild mushrooms on a big wooden board, family style. It's the ultimate communal dining experience. I like to serve it under proteins, of course. I think it is beautifully paired with cheese. So, Parmesan, Grana Padano, Gorgonzola, you name it, it works. And In short, it's really cornmeal porridge, right? It's a common dish in northern Italy. It's frequently eaten as a ragu, and it can be eaten freshly cooked, or it can be cooled and then sliced and fried, grilled, or baked, as I mentioned. Now, long before corn was brought from the Americas to Europe... Polenta was already a staple food. It just wasn't made from corn, obviously. The name actually originally comes from the Latin word for pearled grain, like barley. And the dish was a gruel that could be made with all sorts of grains and legumes, and it dates back to Roman times. I love culinary history. Now, it's no longer associated with other grains, just corn. There are fancy versions of Italian Italian polenta, rather, that you can buy, Um, which some chefs prefer over the more generic stuff. But for all practical purposes, any medium ground cornmeal in a box at your favorite grocery store will do. Now, A lot of stores also sell quick or instant polenta, which is made from an incredibly fine grind of cornmeal. Sometimes it's pre-cooked, in fact. And I recognize the convenience of a product like that, but I'll be honest, I've never made a quick cooking polenta that I like. So buy, you know, the traditional standard cornmeal, or if you want to splurge for the Italian style. What's important about making polenta is not always the exact type of cornmeal, but the ratio, as I mentioned, the liquid that you use in conjunction with the grain. Now, Italian chefs will tell you the only way is water, but milk makes it incredibly rich and creamy polenta that's a lot more of an indulgence all on its own. And chicken stock infuses the polenta with a ton of flavor. Now, they're all perfectly good options depending upon what you want. But if you're starting fresh with polenta, I like polenta made with milk and water combined. I think it creates a creamy, luscious finished product and the corn flavor still shines through. Now, once you've chosen your polenta and decided on a liquid, the question is what ratio to use. I almost always use a ratio of four parts liquid to one part polenta by volume. The problem with using any less liquid than that, in my opinion, is that it almost invariably fails to fully hydrate the cornmeal. So the polenta thickens faster than the little bits of dried corn can soak up uh, all the goodness. And In essence, you get grainy polenta. I like creamy, smooth, lovely mouthfeel, and I don't like it undercooked or gritty. So if you use the proper ratio of liquid to cornmeal, you will get that perfect texture. The next question is how long to cook it, of course. And this is another area of great debate. I say 20 minutes is long enough. I've seen recipes that say simmer it for an hour, but that seems excessive to me And, you know, I want to pour another glass of Chardonnay. So, um, you don't have to cook it so long or longer than when you uh, attain the perfect texture in my kitchen. And you don't have to actually stir the polenta constantly at all. It does require attention, but a stir here and there to keep the polenta from sticking to the bottom of the pan is enough. Now... As part of my testing, I play with lots of different methods of making uh, polenta. I've tested the oven method. Uh, There's a double boiler method, which just seems like more dishes to wash. Um, The top of the stove method is my best suggestion. And I like it hot and creamy like along with a braised lamb shank or garlicky shrimp. Um, But I do love it firm as well, cut into squares and grilled or fried in olive oil. And pan fried, really, just a, a shallow sheen at the bottom of the pan. So, here's how. You take your creamy polenta and you pour it into a baking sheet or a glass casserole dish, as I mentioned. You press plastic wrap on top of the surface And you refrigerate it several hours or overnight until it's completely chilled and set. And then you cut the polenta into squares or triangles or circles. And you can go ahead and cook it again. You'll get a a crisp crust and a really tender interior. And so once you've mastered the creamy version and then the crunchy, crispy, yummy squares, you can go ahead and experiment to your heart's content. And oh, it's just so good. So, it's time to master perfect polenta. Fall is here. And I'd love to know how yours turns out, of course. And now I've made myself hungry. For polenta recipes, you can visit chefjamie.com. You can email me jamie at chefjamie.com. I will send you a polenta tutorial. And I will post my best polenta recipe for a brilliant basic on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chefjamiegwen. And in food news this week, have you heard? Mayo chip is making its way to the U.S. Yes, that's what it's called. It's a cross between mayonnaise and ketchup. And you're saying, well, that's Thousand Island dressing. Well close. Mayonnaise and ketchup to me is the ultimate combination. And I grew up with a mom who will dip anything in a creamy, tangy, two-ingredient wonder. And she always made it by hand. Once in a while it had, um, if it was going on a burger, let's say, a teeny bit of relish in it. Uh, But if it was a a dip for cold shrimp, well then more mayonnaise than ketchup. Uh, Maybe a squeeze of lemon juice here or there. But it was, I will say, the ultimate dipper. Well, Heinz, combined their mayonnaise and ketchup and started selling it in the Middle East. And people went crazy. And all those passionate responses have brought it to the States. According to Heinz, mayo chip will now be available um, at major grocery retailers. Look for mayo chip at a store near you. (laughs) And please don't touch your dial because if you have to go shopping, it's going to have to wait. Wait. There's lots more fabulous food and delicious conversation in your radio. Coming up, she is my friend and I am a fan of Ellie Krieger, cooking in healthy style. She's sharing her favorite fall foods as she graces this show again. So don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio doing what I love the most, and that is sharing my passion for food with you. There's lots more right after the break. Thank you. Appreciating your appetite every Sunday, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This best selling author, Food Network host, and James Beard Award winner has an open invitation on this show, and I'm proud to call her my friend. She's back, Ellie Krieger, the registered dietitian, weekly columnist at The Washington Post, and by the way, her new PBS series, Ellie's Real Good Food, debuting soon, and I can't wait. Her most recent cookbook, You Have It Made, is my go-to for healthy, fresh, and fabulous recipes, and I am thrilled to welcome her back to the radio to share some fall inspiration. Hi Ellie. Hi Chef Jamie, <laughs> it's so good to talk to you. Thank you. I'm glad to talk to you again too. Okay, um I share a love as you do with the change of seasons. So, okay, what are you eating? Do tell.
2: Oh my gosh. Well, it's first of all, I have to tell you right now I am standing in a beautiful table grape vineyard
1: uh, oh, how cool. in the San
2: Joaquin Valley in California. Yes. And all around me are these gorgeous grapes. Mm. And many people don't realize, you know, they often think of grapes as like a summer fruit, but actually most of the grapes, 65% of grapes from California are shipped after September 1st. So really it's a fall and winter fruit, and now is when to grab them up. They're so beautiful and juicy and full of flavor. and I have some really interesting fun ideas that are also very easy oh, of, of course how to incorporate them into dishes.
1: yeah, well, they're Ellie recipes, so they are easy and they're fresh and I love that you cook with the seasons you've you always have. Um, you've definitely remained true to your very early philosophy in leading us to change up what we do based on where we live and what the weather is like. So are you using the grapes sweet and savory? Uh, what are you looking forward to? Share some dishes, please.
2: Yeah, well, I love that. And in terms of seasonality, though, you hit on a great point. I have stuck true to that because there's only benefits to doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, there's flavor. And you know when food's in season has the best flavor, it's going to be the best quality. It's also going to have the best nutritional value and also when you eat seasonally then you're automatically building variety into your life. When you build in variety you're not going to get bored of the same old same old and also you're getting a variety of nutrients because different fruits and vegetables have different nutrients. So with grapes all the different colors have those polyphenols that we read so much about. Also other antioxidants, uh, potassium and also vitamin K so you're getting all that. So one of the things that I love to do with them, and this is it comes into that sweet and savory thing, is I love to roast grapes. I don't know, have you been into roasting grapes?
1: Yeah. Well, okay. During the summer, I grilled them, Ellie. Would have made oh, you proud? I yes. Too. Like for a cheese platter, or like uh, along with dessert, or otherwise. And then yes, roasted during the fall and the winter, like as a compliment to chicken. I love um, fruit and meat, like fruit and protein. Brilliant combination.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in terms of fruit and protein, well, let's go, I'll, I'll go back to roasting them because this, I think, is one of my favorite dishes for entertaining. And it is also perfect for like a holiday table. Okay. So you take grapes, whole grapes, red, black grapes, whatever variety you like. You just toss them with a little olive oil. And then you just roast them at 400 for 10 minutes. Then you put in just like slabs of feta cheese. put that in a baking dish with the grapes on top. Oh. Then you roast it for 10 more minutes. So the cheese becomes, like, soft and melted, and the grapes warm throughout, and their juices almost kind of activate, and they become super sweet and also have this slight savory element with the cheese. Then I garnish it with some fresh thyme, some chili flakes, and that's a beautiful, couldn't-be-easier appetizer. Oh, no doubt pretty
1: helpful. I love the salty, tangy feta and then the sweetness because the, the natural sugar in the grapes compounds when you roast them, of course. And if the bricks level is as high as it is now for these California grapes, the sugar level, then you really get intense flavor. And I can imagine with that wonderful, flavorful feta, what temperature do you roast at?
2: 400. At 400. Okay. It, one of those things you could, it's variable, so if your oven happens to be at a different temperature because you're cooking something else, sure. you know, there's play there.
1: You use a lot of but, feta because it's a, a leaner choice?
2: Well, I generally, so I love all cheese, right? Yes. I generally, though, go for cheeses that are really super pungent mm. and have a lot of flavor so that a little bit goes a long way. Smart. Uh, so feta I do love, and it also is generally about a third less fat and calories. Okay. than hard cheeses. So, so that's a plus, too. So
1: we can eat more. All right, so we're having exactly. cheese and fruit to start, and then what? what's next?
2: So one dish that I love also, when you're saying about meat and grapes, or chicken and grapes, is just a simple flank steak. So you can do this with chicken breast, too, if you want, but just grilling a nice flank steak, slicing, just salt and pepper, simply seasoned, grilling that up, slicing it thin, and on top piling on this gorgeous fall salad so watercress i'm a little bit obsessed with watercress i have to say but or you could use arugula if you want
1: you like that Um, peppery
2: peppery thing yeah i love that pepperyness and so you do that with a little vinaigrette just shallot mustard oil oil of vinegar and then dress the salad with that and then in the salad grapes and Built in cheese, just a little. And a little Mm. bit goes a long way with the cheese again because it's so rich in flavor. But you're getting this gorgeous jewel tones, really. The white bounces off the red grapes with the green in the background. And it's really, really lovely. And it's a healthy meal, lean protein, flank steak, a lean cut, Mm. and also really flavorful.
1: Sounds so delicious right now. I'm starving. I like grapes. (laughs) It's true. We've made ourselves hungry. We've done our job. I like grapes and pork as well. My mom always made um, a pork dish when I was growing up, and it was uh, traditionally with apples. And then she began substituting with grapes. And I think that complement is perfect, too. So it doesn't matter the protein. Um, right. As long as it's lean and clean, the Ellie Krieger way, we can uh-huh. pair it with roasted grapes any day.
2: Oh, sure. And I love that idea. And also, I think in terms of switching it out for the apple in that context, is maybe it felt a little old-fashioned with the apple. Yes. Not that it's not good, No, but, but somehow it's somehow using grapes, a different fruit element, yes takes it into the modern world a little bit, right? Yeah, it
1: definitely refreshes it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No and doubt. then,
2: um, yeah, absolutely. And then also making a, a grape kind of salsa with grilled fish is nice too. Speaking of lean protein. Well, it doesn't even salmon isn't lean and, you know, it's all that beautiful with a grape salsa with some jalapenos in there and mm. some Green onion and okay, really easy to do.
1: What time is dinner? I love the way you cook. You know that. I love what you stand for. And you are welcome right here. You, Thank right you. You. <laughs> you are welcome here anytime. We will definitely embrace the grapes from California and this sweet season And thank you, um, as always, for your passion.
2: Thank you, too, for having me. Thank you, Ellie. I look forward to (laughs) it.
1: Ellie Krieger's easy recipes create healthy, tasty dishes. They always satisfy. And there's no doubt uh, we do have the best culinary thinkers on this show. Learn more at elliekrieger.com. Go to grapesfromcalifornia.com for her recipes. And don't touch your dial because there's lots more delicious conversation coming up next. As the delicious conversation continues, welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Marla Meredith fell in love with the mountain life when she moved her family to the mountains of Telluride, Colorado five years ago. The outdoor wonderland with its blue skies and imposing views has vastly influenced Marla's culinary creativity. And she's sharing the best of her mountain meals in her first cookbook release entitled High Alpine Cuisine. She has a top culinary blog and has been seen on every wonderful morning TV show and her hearty, fabulously delicious fare will... Definitely inspire you come this fall and winter as we eat the best of comfort food. The book is beautifully styled and photographed by Marla herself, and I am very happy to have you on the show. Welcome.
3: Hello. Hello. To be here. Thank you. Oh, I'm glad
1: to have you, Marla. Congratulations. The book is beautiful.
3: Thank you.
1: Yes. Um. Tell us about mountain cooking, please. I mean, I think you need to discuss elevation too. But I wonder, like, how much more delicious your dishes are. After a day of skiing.
3: Oh my goodness. I love that you said that because seriously, living here and visiting the mountains, you get really hungry after a day of being outside.
1: (laughs) There's no doubt. And when it comes to elevation, I noticed in reading the introduction, you really don't Uh have to make much adjustment.
3: That's correct. You know, I really kept this book sort of very user friendly for every altitude. It's not a high altitude cookbook. It's a high alpine, meaning mountain life and mountain living, but not specific to any one or particular altitude. I wanted, let's say, the people living in New York City to say, hey, we love Austin or we love Vale or Telluride, for that matter. And we just going to be able to keep that recipe and not worry about um, adjustments for altitude. I
1: think that's smart. I wonder, do you forage for chanterelles or find... Wonderful weeds, or otherwise, in the area where you live, being at a a higher altitude and in the mountains, is there a bounty of goodness? There
3: is, and it really depends upon um you know how the season was, of course, for us, the rainfall, et cetera, et cetera. But um yeah, we find the most gorgeous golden centrals mm. here. Right in, um, right in Telluride, and we get to cook with them, which is the best thing ever.
1: Okay, I'm coming to your house. I noticed um a theme <laughs> in the book. Um, cast iron uh-huh. skillets are your everything, and I have to say, yeah, they are. yes, I have to say. You know, I sort of go in and out. My mom passed down a a cast iron skillet to me. She gave one of hers up um, and I love it. And I have a couple of others and I go through phases, albeit I'm a Mm -hmm. Southern California girl through and through, but I've begun leaving the cast iron skillet on the stove and I find myself using it as a go-to now. It's a staple for you.
3: It is. And you know, same thing with me. I actually have three sizes that I leave stacked on my stove. I use them every day, every day. Um, And they're heavy. Let's just face it. The real big one, the 12 inch, that's a heavy, heavy pan. No doubt. It's nice to just kind of leave it. And they look pretty too. They're just a rustic, beautiful way to cook and super inexpensive to buy, which I like as well.
1: I like that too. And I think that the caramelization, the sear, uh, the heat conduction rather is probably second to none.
3: It really is. I mean, those pans, you heat them up and they hold that They really are. I have found nothing that compares to my cast iron skillets. And they're so easy. You know, people get scared of them. They think that they can't um, keep that beautiful finish. It's Mm -hmm. simple. It really is. You know, you just keep them oiled and they stay perfect forever, for lifetimes, over and over.
1: You oil every time. So you'll wash in hot soapy water, make sure it's clean, dry it well. Always important. Yeah, exactly. And then do you oil, do you paper towel in between?
3: You know, it's funny. It, it, it's actually interesting that you brought that up about the soap because I do wash in warm soapy water. Some people say not to, and I have to to get it oh, clean. I do too. And then, Yeah, yeah. And then as soon as you oil it with maybe like a neutral oil, a canola, a vegetable oil, a grapeseed. Right. Um, yeah, I just wipe it down. I, I completely dry it, like you said. And then I wipe it down. I uh, drizzle some oil in the pan and then wipe it with a paper towel. Done until next time.
1: Yeah, it's so so super simple, and I, I am I am loving yeah. using them. I I think you have to embrace your cast iron, and so um, yeah, you do. We'll do that with your inspiration. I love too that you can take it straight to the table, and those cinnamon rolls yes. stay warm. So let's cook in cast iron. Let's cook. Uh, High yeah. alpine cuisine, please. You make a cast iron skillet <laughs> cinnamon roll with maple pumpkin cream cheese frosting. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. What time is breakfast?
3: Yeah. Seriously, these um, great for breakfast, brunch, or any um, snack of the day with your hot cup of coffee. Mm.
1: Yeah, thank you. Definitely. So yeah. you make the dough. Do you? Um, can you make uh-huh. it in advance? Do you roll them and keep them
3: freezeable? You can make that dough in advance. Yeah, it's going to keep real good. You can keep it a few days in the fridge. You can freeze it. Um, and then it cooks up so beautifully yeah. in that pan. And like you said, it goes straight from um, baking to table. You just let it cool for a little bit until you can add that nice frosting to it without it melting all over
1: and that's what I loved the most about the recipe was the frosting because as we come into pumpkin season you know a few tablespoons of canned pumpkin packs a punch of flavor so putting it into a cream cheese frosting or I mean really you could probably even spread it on the dough or mix it into almost anything but pumpkin for breakfast I think is just brilliant
3: yeah it's heavenly for sure and then when you put in that beautiful like pure maple syrup yes you have like Mm, it's delicious
1: all right so we sat aside ourselves at breakfast got hungry for lunch you make a cast iron skillet ratatouille that's beautiful
3: thank you i think that's especially beautiful to bring to the table for your family for entertaining no matter what. Any season too, actually.
1: Right. So you just change up the veggies as you see fit. You're using eggplant, yellow squash, zucchini, tomatoes, red onion. We can get year round. I love as sure. a vegan main course, as you allude to, that you yeah. could set this on the table and feast. I mean, it uh, could be garlic bread or some yeah. grain salad along with it. That's a meatless Monday.
3: It is. It is. You know, you can do a barley, you can do a quinoa, you can do- rice really anything and also it's evergreen like we just said it's for any season you wish
1: Mm, yum Um, for the meat eaters do you use a lot of elk I noticed your elk spaghetti bolognese that has to be Mm. hearty and rich oh
3: gosh it's so delicious it's absolutely one of my all-time favorite recipes and Adding that white wine, too, really enhances the flavor of the tomatoes and the elk. Mm. Um, We do eat a lot of elk here in Colorado. It is um, an animal that you do find grazing here in Telluride, actually. So it's something that people hunt for um, in season, of course.
1: Yes. And because it's available, I think that we embrace what is local and around us and fresh and on hand. Um, I'm going to segue to football for a second. Um, we don't know each other well, albeit fans fans of each other's recipes. Um, but I am yes. a brown butter girl, Marla, if you didn't know oh. through and through. Like, I call it a one-ingredient wonder. I think brown butter makes everything better. Uh, why wouldn't you brown the butter if you had one ingredient? And you make a brown butter chicken wing with smoked paprika, which incorporates two of my favorite things, brown butter, and I love Spanish smoked paprika. That will be the first yes. recipe in your book that I make. Oh,
2: I'm
3: so excited. You will love that. What um, a combo. Hey, seriously, right? It's, it's kind of heaven on a plate, if you will.
1: Yes. um, Wash it down with an IPA, you say. And they're baked instead yeah. of fried. So that's football fair.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And the nice thing is you can, um, you know, do the recipe that serves four, sure, double, triple it. You know, if you're having a lower of juice, go ahead and triple it. It's that easy mm. to bake it on a pan okay. and forget about it for yeah. those, you know, few, the 30 minutes while it's baking. And then you have... A beautiful recipe that people can feast on.
1: Okay, big pile of napkins. Um, and then leave us big, with gosh. leave us with something sweet. Selfishly sure, chose another brown butter recipe. You make a brown butter <laughs> chocolate chunk cookie. You knew I was going there. Those
3: are, um, as you can imagine,
1: pretty irresistible. I, I can imagine. So, you know, I've made a brown butter brownie but I've not thought to brown the butter for a chocolate chip cookie. And even if you're using your, your signature family recipe or your grandmother's legacy recipe, browning mm-hmm. the butter, and I call it noisette, right? Until it starts to brown right. before it goes black, right. where it starts to get aromatic, then cooled mm-hmm. down and then used mm-hmm. as you would in your favorite chocolate chip recipe takes the cookies, I can imagine, to a whole new level.
3: Uh, Jamie, you have... Totally hit the nail on the head there. They are everything. Mm. I mean, my kids love them. Yes. Anyone I've ever had over to my house loves these. And of course, like you said, the brown butter makes some. Um,
1: the recipes are homey and delicious. And no matter where you live, really, uh, Marla Meredith is inspiring. Whether it's in Aspen or Telluride, the French Alps, mountain meals are meant to be sturdy. So think cheeses and cured meats and potatoes and strudels because she has recipes perfect for after a day of hiking or skiing and the flavors never disappoint. You can learn more at MarlaMeredith.com. High Alpine Cuisine just released, inspired dishes from extraordinary mountain escapes around the world. Marla, congratulations. I'm thrilled for you. You have an open invitation here. Welcome back anytime. Thank you, Jamie. It's my pleasure to have you. As the delicious conversation continues, there's lots more fabulous food and drink in your radio right after this. On this show, I'm all about feeding your soul, so we're learning to meditate today. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio. Did you know that meditation can better your brain, reduce anxiety, even improve your cholesterol level? Dr. Daniel Siegel is one of the preeminent experts on the human mind, and his new book entitled Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence, shares the science behind his groundbreaking meditation practice. Dr. Siegel is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA David Geffen School of Medicine and a founding co-director of the UCLA Mindful Awareness Research Center. He is also the executive director of the Mindsight Institute. And I'm very glad to have you here. Dr. Siegel, welcome. Hello, Jamie. (laughs) Hello. Thank you. Uh, Your research is fascinating to me. I was taught to meditate as a little girl, Dr. Siegel. I don't know that it was true meditation, but... I I understand the concept and it has calmed me in many experiences throughout my life. I was really delighted to begin reading your book and understand that your research has proven meditation can truly change the health of your body. So enlighten us, please.
0: Absolutely. Well, meditation simply means training the mind. And there are a number of ways to do it. So I'm not sure what you learned as a child, but <laughs> if it was... Strengthening your mind, and it helps your mind, then your, whoever taught you, your folks, whoever taught you, they were teaching you a meditation, and that's fantastic. You know, with the researchers who do direct um, studies, for example, of a person doing a certain kind of practice, let's say focusing attention or opening awareness or cultivating a kind inner regard and a regard in a positive way toward others called kindness, those three ways that we can train the mind with attention being focused, awareness being open, and attention being kind, intention being kind, when you cultivate those, the researchers are very clear. You actually increase the strength of connections in the brain so the brain functions in a more resilient way, mm. and you improve five different aspects of how the body is creating well-being. So you improve the immune system. As you, you mentioned, you can actually improve cholesterol levels and heart functioning. You can actually reduce inflammation. Mm. You can optimize how your, um, uh, basically, body is dealing with inflammation by decreasing inflammation. And this process is also, amazingly, when you strengthen these aspects of the mind, connected with slowing the aging process, so you actually can change a molecule called telomerase that, when it's optimized, this enzyme repairs and maintains the ends of your chromosomes, kind of like if you picture a shoelace with that plastic cap on it. If the cap were missing, the shoelace would fray as you tried to put it through that little eyelet. Well, chromosomes have caps on them called telomeres. And the Nobel Prize-winning researcher, Elizabeth Blackburn, with her colleague, Alyssa Eppel, have studied how mental presence, what you learn in the book, allows you to actually optimize an enzyme.
1: Okay, so all the more reason to be mindful and find calm. Would you introduce us to your wheel of awareness practice, rather, please?
0: Absolutely. The wheel is a very simple image that's accessible to do as basically a drawing for young kids or a practice for people who are older. And the practice is simply this. If I say, hello, Jamie, you have both the experience of knowing that I said hello and you have the sound hello. So we put the knowing, called awareness, in the hub of this visual image of the wheel. And then the wheel also has a rim, and that's where we would put the sound of Hello. Now, if you're focusing on what you're hearing, we would put a spoke of attention from the hub of being aware to the rim of what you're aware of, in this case, the sound of hello. Now, the rim, of course, has more than just hearing. It has the first segment, sight and smell and taste and touch. So for someone who's really focusing on food, Mm -hmm. I love to go to dinner and then ask the people I'm dinner with to pause and let's just focus on the taste of the food, the smell of the food, the feeling, the texture of the food, rather than having a chat, which is great, I love people, I love conversations, but the food deserves its own time, and the wheel of awareness actually lets you take in food in a different kind of way, and so that's the first segment of the rim. The second segment is the interior of the body, the signals that come from your intestines or your heart or your lungs, your muscles and your bones. The third segment of the rim represents your feelings and your thoughts and your memories, though mental activities. And then your fourth segment of the rim represents your connections to other people and nature. When you move the spoke around, you can also take a time where you bend the spoke into the hub itself and focus awareness onto awareness.
1: Thank you for making us aware. Uh, and kudos to you on uh, an extraordinary book that is getting tremendous praise—a very illuminating view of the mind and the practice of awareness. It's a fascinating read, inspired by science and bolstered by feedback from thousands. Aware by Dr. Daniel Siegel is the hands-on guide to becoming more focused, and present, and energized, and resilient through his groundbreaking meditation practice. Thank you, Dr. Siegel, for sharing your time and for your passion for food and meditation.
0: Well, thank you, Jamie. It's a pleasure.
1: And so that brings us to the end of another hour of the opportunity you graciously give me to feed your soul. And because a meal is a terrible thing to waste, I hope you'll tune in every weekend and allow me to make you hungry. I will leave you with my last bite for the hour. Since football season is in full swing and you never want to miss a game, you're going to want to make this four-ingredient wonder. It's a bite sized no-carb delight that is perfect for football snacking. It's quick and easy, and it's got comfort food goodness without any guilt, and I think these mini chicken parm football bites are definitely touchdown-worthy. I take fresh chicken tenders and I cut them in half and I'll season them with salt and pepper and quickly saute them in olive oil or you can throw them on a sheet pan and bake them in the oven. And once they're just cooked through, I spoon, whether it's store-bought or homemade red sauce on top and put a slice of mozzarella cheese over that and then I broil just until the cheese is melted. I finish with some shredded Parmesan cheese to gild the lily and you have a chicken parm bite that will keep you satisfied all the way through the fourth quarter. I will post my mini chicken parm football bites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, and I'll meet you here next weekend when there's lots more inspiration in your radio. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well.